morning, church. Where were you all last weekend? It was very lonely up here on the stage. I don't know what happened. No, it's good to see you. And that last weekend was a little different for all of us. We, uh, but uh, I hope you enjoyed the online service that we put together. And I just want to thank my, the team, not, not my team, our team, for putting that together because they did that uh, Thursday afternoon when we realized it was a really good chance we weren't going to be able to be here for the weekend. And I think they did a great job, especially I want to get hats off to, to Lucas. Lucas Iverson is a gem. If you don't know Lucas, he is our tech director, and he made that service look like we had planned it that way, right? <laughs> he did a great job. Um, I do. I want to start, you know, as, as much as we are rejoicing and being together here this morning, I've been thinking about, you know, a lot of people in our congregation uh, have been through some very difficult things, especially over the past few months, even over the past year. And uh, we know our neighbors to the west of us, many of the people there uh, had been through some really hard things in the past week. And I just thought it would be right for us to stop here at the beginning of the, the message time and pray for people. Uh, just lift them up to the Lord and ask him to be merciful to them. So can we take a moment to do that? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Well, Father God, we do praise you and thank you for bringing us together this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to worship as, as, a, as a church and a congregation. And, and there's so much that we do praise you for and thank you for. And, and you are constantly good to us, Lord. We never lose sight of that. But we also recognize that there are many people among us and, and in our, uh, in our, uh, to our neighbors, our neighbors to the West and in other places who are hurting this morning. And and this has been a difficult season for them. And there's loss, there's grief, there's pain, um, hardship that people are experiencing. And we know that you are the one who brings that, that uh, peace that, um, that we need, the, the comfort that we need, the hope that sustains us. And we just pray that you will bring all of that to people wherever they need it, Lord, that you would come upon them in a powerful way through your Holy Spirit, that they might know your love for them, and in, in finding your love for them, that they would know your hope for them in Jesus Christ. Lord, uh, do, a re do a remarkable work uh, in the midst of some tragic events that have happened here recently. Um, do an incredible work, one that we, we can't even imagine right now, but one that will bring glory to you and bring praise to the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we thank you for doing that in advance. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so um, I was thinking about the message for today and, uh, and, and I kind of landed on this theme, you know, what does Christmas mean? And so I kind of did a, what you do sometimes, you start a message, you do a Google search, right? What does Christmas mean? And I found uh, that in 1970, the Akron Beacon Journal uh, sent that question out to its readership and asked children to respond, what does Christmas mean? to you. And I got like a whole lot of these. I'm only going to read a couple of them. Uh, I was really kind of impressed with some of them. Let me, let me read this one, a few of them. Christmas, Tommy, this is Tommy, age eight. Christmas means happiness because Jesus was born and kids get to stay home from school. I, I think God says, yeah, that's right, Tommy, you know, good. Glad you can get a day off on, on my birthday. That's cool. Uh, Lois, uh, age nine, said, it's joy around the world for all people. God loves us so much that he gave his son to die on the cross for our sins. 
homeschool kid right there. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Hopefully she learns that uh, down in our children's wing too, right? I mean, I hope. I hope she's learning that in the families, right? I hope our kids are learning that's exactly what Christmas is. John, uh, age eight, said it means happiness to me. It means I should be nice to my sister and brother all year long, right? You can pull that one out. Um, let's see, a couple more. Teresa, age eight, Jesus was born on the 15th of Christmas. I, that's that's just, okay. Joseph and Mary were very happy, and so was God and everyone in heaven, okay? And then I like this from Debbie, age 13. Christmas is a time of joy when families are brought together and everyone has the feeling of happy confusion, right? <laughs> so if you can resonate with Debbie, that's, yeah. Well, what does, what does Christmas mean? What does Christmas mean for us? Of course, it's the celebration of the birth of Jesus, right? But if that's all it is, I got to tell you the, the hard truth up front. If that's all that Christmas is for you, if it's just the celebration of the birth of Jesus, then, then it's no more significant than celebrating the birth of George Washington or Buddha or, or anybody else, right? I mean, fine, you know, we celebrate great. You know, birthday celebrations are wonderful. They can be, you know, wonderful festive times. But if that's all that Christmas is, then we're wasting Christmas. If that's all Christmas is for you, is a celebration of the birth of someone named Jesus, then we're wasting Christmas, and I don't want us to waste Christmas, right? Because Christmas is so much more than that. It's so much more than that. It's the incredible fact that God sent his son, his very self, to live among us. John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word, finish it with me, the Word was God, right? And then in verse 14 of that chapter, the Word made His dwelling among us. That's Christmas, right? That Jesus, God Himself, came and lived among us, right? It's not just the same as, as George Washington's birthday, wonderful man George Washington, but it's more than that. This is God being born among us. That's incredible, right? We cannot lose sight of that ever, right? Jesus left heaven, the place where he was worshipped and adored to come to earth, where he experienced what? The highs and lows of human relationships, homelessness, hostility, betrayal, the pain of the cross, death. See, this is all part of the Christmas story, right? And we can't just skip over that. Christmas doesn't have its meaning without the rest of Jesus' life and Easter and the resurrection, right? It's all one story. How do we understand this? Well, I was thinking about it. You know, if we left our comfortable homes and went somewhere in the world where people are living in refugee camps and we went there to minister to the people in those refugee camps, we might get just a small taste, a small understanding of what it was like for Jesus to leave heaven and come down and live among us, right? In these kinds of conditions. That's what he gave up. Think about that. He gave up the, the glories of heaven to come and live with us. Why? To bring about our salvation. He did it joyfully because he loves us. So one meaning of Christmas is loving others means a sacrifice on our part, right? If we're following Jesus, then, then we understand Christmas means to love others requires some sacrifice on our part. Scrooge had to learn that, right? You love the Christmas, you love Christmas Carol? Anybody like me, you read the Christmas Carol every year? Right? I, tr I, read I try to read, not necessarily make it, but I try to read Dickens' Christmas Carol every year. I love the story. And one of Deb and I's traditions every year, and we do do this 
every year, is watch 1951's version, Alistair Sim as Scrooge, A Christmas Carol. It is the best Christmas Carol. I'll just put that out there, right? If you're looking for the best version of Christmas Carol, it's the 1951 black and white Alistair Sim Christmas Carol. You can bank on it. You go watch it, and then you come back and tell me I'm wrong, okay? So anyway, we love it. But you know what, I, I love the ending of, uh, of course, we all love the ending of A Christmas Carol, right? Now, if you love the story, you gotta love the ending where Scrooge is redeemed, right? He's learned what life is all about. And what does it say? Dickens closes it this way. It was always said of him that he knew how to keep Christmas well. He knew how to keep Christmas well. And I don't think that means that just, oh, once a year, Scrooge thought, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, now I got to be good and kind to people and I got to be generous, okay, because it's Christmas. I think it means he kept Christmas well all year long. And that's what I want to encourage us to do, is to keep Christmas well all year long. How many of you have put your Christmas tree away? How many of you put your Christmas decorations away already? Anybody? Yeah, thank you. I'm with you. We put our Christmas tree away on Thursday, okay? Partly because we have a very small living room, and when Deb and I have to put the tree up, we have to put our recliners together. We're practically sitting in each other's laps for as long as that tree is in the living room. So in order to make some space, we take the tree down, and we can take things back to the way they were. But here's the thing. We can put the Christmas decorations away. We can take the tree to the curb, but don't put Christmas away. Don't put Christmas away. Christmas is not meant to be a one-time-a-year celebration. It's the way that we live in relationship to Jesus Christ and other people throughout the year. So first of all, let me mention five things that Christmas means for us. First, Christmas means that God continues to pursue us. God continues, by the way, nothing on the screen today. If you want to remember these, you're going to have to look at the app later or now or write it down, okay? But here's the first one. Christmas means that God continues to pursue us. In Luke 1, Mary's saying these words, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Listen, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. I love that phrase. God has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. You hear what Mary's saying? God knows me. God knows me. He knows who I am. He knows what I'm going through. He has been mindful. He has had me in his mind. I'm there in God's thoughts. And it's, that's an incredible thing, right? Think about it. Bob, I'm pointing you out right now. Bob, you are in God's thoughts this morning. Do you know that, right? Do you know that, people? That God is thinking about you. He is mindful of you. And whatever you're going through in this season of your life, God has you in his thoughts. He hasn't forgotten about you. He's been pursuing you. If you're not in relationship with him, you need to know this. God is chasing you down, and he wants to catch you, and he's not going to give up. God is relentless. He is relentless about chasing us down. So one of my favorite poems is called The Hound of Heaven. Anybody know The Hound of Heaven, right? Not surprised. Not a single hand went up on that, okay? I didn't, at least I didn't see one. The Hound of Heaven. It was written in the 1800s by a guy named Francis Thompson. By the way, I'm not encouraging you to read it because it's very difficult to read, right? If you read it, you'll just get frustrated and be mad at me for pointing you to it. But it is a wonderful poem. Francis Thompson was a guy, he, his family was religious. They brought him up to know the Lord. He thought he would be a priest at one point. He went to, to, to school to learn how to become a priest. The priest kicked him out. They said he had no aptitude for it. 
wasn't going to work. So then he decided maybe he'd be a doctor like his father. He went to medical school. They kicked him out. They said, you don't, you don't know how, you have no skill at becoming a doctor. So two failures in his life by the time he's in his mid-20s. He got hooked on a drug called laudanum, which is like heroin and opiate. And, uh, and it took his life down to skid row. All right. He was homeless. He was, you know, living off the kindness of other people. His life was a mess. And but during those periods of time, every now and then he had these moments of, 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 of sobriety and clarity. And he discovered or he thought he might be a poet. So he wrote a poem called The Hound of Heaven and some other things. And he sent them off to a publisher. But this is what he sent those off to a publisher publisher. And, and he said, you're probably I'm paraphrasing. You're probably not going to like these. So you can just send me back a rejection letter. OK, that was his attitude about his writing. The guy, the publisher put those things aside for a few months and then he pulled them out and he read and, and uh, he published the poems. He saw the talent that Francis Thompson had. In The Hound of Heaven, this most famous of Francis Thompson's poems, he compares God to a bloodhound. All right, strange kind of association, but think about it. What he's saying in that poem, it's a long poem where he talks about running away from God. He keeps trying to run away from God, to get away from God. He tries to get away from God and put God out of his own mind by looking to women, looking to parties, looking to fun, looking to whatever. He's just trying to get away from God, but all the time he's trying to get away from God, he hears God's footsteps coming after him, like in a scary movie, right? Boom, boom, boom. He's just coming after him, coming after him, coming after him. And he, and he communicates through this poem, God never stops chasing us down. He is relentless until he catches us, right? And pours his love into us. And I got to tell you, I believe that to be true. God loves us so much that he wants to catch us and he continues to pursue us. In Isaiah 49, uh, Isaiah is writing about this idea and, and he puts these words, or God puts these words uh, to, through Isaiah to us. He says, at just the right time, God says, I will respond to you. On the day of salvation, I will help you. I will say to the prisoners, come out in freedom, and to those in darkness, come into the light. And the people say, the Lord has deserted us. The Lord has forgotten us. And God responds, never can a mother forget her nursing child. Can she feel no love for the child she has born? Even if that were possible, I would not forget you. See, I have written your name on the palms of my hands. Isaiah's writing 800 years before Christ, but do you, see, do you hear the picture? Do you, do you see the picture, right? I've written you on the palms of my hands, God says. You are written on the palms of God's hands. You are in his mind. He will never stop trying to bring you into relationship with him. And if you're in relationship with him, he will never stop trying to bring us closer in love to him. That's God's nature. It's the first message of Christmas. Second message of Christmas, God can be trusted. You might wonder about that at times. You might have doubts, right? Things happen and we wonder, can God really be trusted? Does he really love me? Is he really gonna be there for me? Is he really gonna take care of me? You know, when we can't understand the things that happen in our lives, we ask that question often. Well, Christmas is a loud yes. You can trust God. In Genesis 3, God promised that he would send someone who would stomp on evil. Genesis 3, the beginning of, of mankind's history. He said, I'm going to send somebody who's going to stomp on evil one day. And we waited, and we waited, and we waited, and we waited. The world waited and waited and waited until Christmas. Until Christmas. And Jesus came to be the one that God promised would stomp on evil, who would stomp on sin, who would bring justice to the world. Not a teacher, not a political leader. God sent himself to do what he promised he would do. 
1 John chapter 3, verse 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. The devil is constantly trying to point us to sin. He's trying, constantly trying to interrupt our relationship with God to destroy that relationship. But Jesus came to destroy the work of the devil. That's why he came. That's the purpose. One of the purposes behind Christmas, right? Amen? It's for Jesus to destroy the work of the devil. It's a rescue story. Don't you love rescue stories, right? Like when you watch on the news and a dog is stuck on the ice and someone captures, you know, it doesn't capture, but, but brings the dog, maybe they capture him, brings the dog in off the ice. Don't you love that? And there's all these rescue stories we're hearing right now, right? Uh, one of the ones that I think is, is, is pretty commonly known maybe at this point uh, is a guy named James, Jay Withy up in Buffalo, right? You know the story, right? Uh, this guy was stranded in his car in the storm last week and uh, found someone else who was stranded, brought this, I think it was a woman, brought, him in, brought her into his car, and through the night they took turns turning the car on to get warm, turning it off to save fuel, but in the morning they ran out of fuel. So Jay, he sees this school, and he breaks into a school, right? And then, for shelter, and then he goes out and he brings people into the school, people who are also stranded in the storm. It said 24 people that he saved. He brought them in, out of the storm, into the school, right? It's a wonderful story. And he said, he wrote a note, uh, and uh, where did I put, he said, he said, I'm terribly sorry for breaking into the school. I had to do it to save everyone, right? I love that, right? Well, you know what? God is not terribly sorry for breaking into our world. He had to do it to save everyone, to save you, save me. Christmas is a rescue story. It's a story of Jesus coming to rescue us from our sin, to stomp out evil, to stomp on the devil. It's a wonderful story. Luke 19.10, Jesus said, I've come to seek and to save the lost. Who's the lost? You and me, right? We're the lost, especially before we know Christ. When we're lost in our sin, we're lost to condemnation, we're lost to hell. But Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost, to bring us out of condemnation, to save us from hell, to give us new life. Third thing, Christmas means there's more happening than we realize. God points to Christmas, and he says to us, look, there's a lot more to the world than what you perceive with your physical senses. You know, the first Christmas, I bet, I'm guessing most people just, just did their ordinary, everyday stuff, right? How many people knew what was going on in that stable where Jesus was born, right? The innkeeper got up and he took care of his guests, not realizing that the most important guest the world has ever, uh, ever uh, held was over there in a stable, right, in a manger. Someone fed their chickens and watered their donkey. People gathered at the well to draw water and complain about the census and all the strangers in town. And things were just as usual for most people, even though something really unusual and really remarkable was happening right in their midst. They just didn't know it. They just didn't know it. God's word is always trying to tell us, if we will hear it, that there's more to this world than what we can see with our eyes or hear with our ears, right? There's more going on. If you believe in God, how can you not believe in angels? How can you not believe in demons? How can you not believe in this other world, right, that is as real as 